We love. So yeah, I ran my. Uh, I told you about my theory for the Chinese housing market, right? So I believe that you see a lot of news of China, their economy is crashing. So what I think the Chinese government did is they created these companies, like they, the Chinese government created shell companies, built them up. They got huge um, building contracts, gave them A1 collateral, lending let everything. So they can go and get a trillion dollar loan. So now they built up, they owe no money to their own government. They own all their money to foreign countries. North America, TD's part of it, eh? They owe TD like 10% of TD's debt that's lent out. That's a lot. Some companies, the money is like 70 to 60% of their debt ratio is owed to these companies. So China, what I think China is doing, they, they set up these companies. They went to America, to England, to Canada to borrow the money. They're going to falter on the loan, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the loans. And the, those banks and those economies will come down further. And then the Chi- and these companies can't be like, oh, we're taking the Chinese land. And they're like, yo, this is a communist country. You did business, your problem, not ours. If they have property outside of China, you can take it. So now they're going to step in. They'll bail out the own companies that they made. And then they'll rebuild the buildings, look like heroes for their citizens. And they're just too smart, very honestly. They've been, yo, I've been seeing, so... I seen this housing market thing like a while ago and I finally had it on like uh, I have a, a list of things that I got to research. So it came on my list and it was like the 11th thing. So I finally got to it this month that I got to do a deep dive into. And that's my theory. Mm. I'm just taking it all in. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm not a financial advisor, but <laughs> you don't know something Self-educated. Yo, you got to think outside the box, bro. Like, yo, you have to remember, this is a war of attrition. Countries can't, nobody's going to use a nuclear weapon. Hold on, Omar. Attrition, please. <laughs> I know attrition, but like for the, because there's people, who, oh, by the way, right? The, the record button's already on. Yeah. Attrition for the people in the audience who don't understand what the fuck that means. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Basically just, uh, no man, you can't deplete your your assets, mm. right? You can't you can't shoot all your bullets. It's a war of attrition. Mm. Okay. You fire six, save three. You know what I mean? Fire six, save three. Yo, listen, man. I'm I'm hearing you put down some game right now. Before we get into our conversation that we're about to have right now, and like at the same time of like looking at the space that I'm in, and I'm like, yo, bro, it's a lot of accomplishments over the years, man. Thank you. One thing I always try to fucking like think back to is where exactly did we fucking first meet? So I seen you online. Mm-hmm. And then I go to Roll Nation on Young Street. And then I think you were coming out of the West Indian restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I was no, I met you in the halfway house first. That's what I'm talking about. That's where I met you. I met you on Sherburn. That's where I met you first, actually. I started thinking about new life. Yeah. So old life. Old life. Way back. Yes. Like, uh, probably about like 11 years ago, 10 years ago, 2010, I was in the halfway house on APR. Violated that. 
But that's where I originally met you in one of those little shitty houses. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That's where I met you first. We were going through a different time, bro. That's like a transitional time. You know what? Um, getting APR and coming out on, I think, one-eighth of my sentence mm-hmm. was one of the worst things that could have happened to me. And the best things at the same time. Worst thing was, oh shit, 35 months in prison. They're letting me out already. Who cares? Let's go back to crime, baby. Because it's a slap on the wrist. But when they violated me, and then I had to go back for 22 months, Mm -hmm. then that was a different ballgame. Then it was like, okay, now I'm actually here. Because when you first go in, they tell you, yo, you're a first-time offender. You'll be out in six months. Yeah, All you're doing is counting down six months. And for APR, for the people who don't know, that's accelerated parole review. Uh, when you don't have like a bunch of violent prior offenses, then you can be eligible for APR, which is uh, it's one-sixth, I think. One-sixth? Yeah, yeah. one-sixth. You get to go in front of the parole board in one-sixth of your time instead of two-thirds of your time. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So continue. So I got that, went to the halfway house. That's where we actually first met. Mm-hmm. Um... I got a job at the halfway house. I violated my parole for uh, whatever reason that it was. And then I went back in. And then when I came back out, I, when I went back in, I started reading a lot about psychology and how to break the, the criminal cycle. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I came back to the city of Toronto, it was almost like a countdown to D-Day on when do I start going back to that, that line of work again. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Because I don't classify myself as a badman or a gangster. For me, it's always been about the money. Mm. So if I moved here and I feel like, oh, I'm in a financial restriction, right. I'm going to go back to selling drugs because it's easy. Yeah. Right? So I went to Vancouver. I broke all my ties with my friends that lived that lifestyle. Hold on, before you tell that story, because I want to get in a chronological order. And we, we should be introducing this to the audience out there before, before we jump into this. So for the people who are, who are tuning in right now, right, I'm on a road trip again. Once again, I'm always on a road trip lately. You know what I'm saying? Salute to the Visionary Arts Center where the magic usually goes down. But I enjoy jumping on the road and, and, and getting to, to have conversations with people. And I feel that this is going to be a one of many conversations that we're going to be having um, where we get to like pick this person's mind on different subjects that are going on in the world. But before we get to that, we need to find out a little bit about the man who's going to be breaking down some of these things. Right. So with no further ado, like you were having in our conversation before, you know, the different places that we met along the way to me, this is an example of somebody who's been able to change his life around from negative circumstances to positive circumstances and a positive trajectory. You know what I'm saying? So with no further ado, we have Amar and I'm going to print, I want to make sure I pronounce the last name correctly. Okay? Amar is fine though. Right? Amar is Amar? No, no, no. perfectly right? fine. Also on, on Mr. 366, you're, you're always active on the gram. You know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? Sure. Um, how can I explain you? You're an um, activist, community um, outreach person. You know what I'm saying? entrepreneur, um, um, f- not financial advisor, but financial, um, 
what would be the per- perfect wording? Because I know it's like it's very like wordy when it comes to financial advice and stuff like that. The, the way that I'll put it, I'm not a financial advisor, mm-hmm. but I do do my due diligence on anywhere I invest my capital. Yes. Right. Yes. And that is something I plan on sharing with people. Then they mm-hmm. can go and do their own due diligence and make an educated decision based on the three things that I'm investing in. They might like two of them. Yeah. So that's the direction when it comes to finance. So yeah. It's not like, hey, do this because I'm doing it. Do your due diligence because you should do that. Yeah. So I want to get the story from the beginning so that people could understand like where we are now. Right. So you, you were born in India. You moved here to Canada. Like what age? I, I came here when I was one. Like so one. me, I'm Canadian as can be. I, yeah. I got a tattoo of Ontario on my chest. Mm-hmm. Ontario, Canada, like it gave me everything I have. It gave my family opportunity. Yeah. If we would have been back in India, the opportunity might not have been the same. Mm-hmm. So I, I love Canada for what it's done for me, regardless of the justice system. Yeah. I decided to commit crimes. I had to pay for them. Yeah. So I can't be mad at the cops. I can't be mad at the government. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And when you first got, you first got here, um, it was just you and your moms when you first got here or were you nah, here with um, your mom and your pops? No. So my father was already here. Okay. And then he brought me and my mom over. And we had, then we had my sister a few years later. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had the unfortunate, they couldn't get along, mm-hmm. abusive household. My mom decided to make the best decision possible to protect my family. Yeah. We went to a shelter, stayed there for like about a year and change. Wow. Moved back to our old neighborhood. I remember lying to all my friends. Where did you go? I went to India. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I was staring at a, a shelter by Warden in St. Clair. There's a battered women's shelter back We're there. We're on what age were you around this time? Grade two, I think. Oh, shit. It's like around eight? Yeah. Wow. I was young. My sister lived with my grandparents for years after. Mm-hmm. Were you going to school at that time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to uh, Glamorgan Public School that time. So, like, you're just, like, I guess beginning to explain, like, the kids in school didn't know that you were going back to a shelter after school. One thing I realized as I, I grew up is a lot of what happens in our households, nobody talks about. Yeah. Especially when you come in from, from a disenfranchised neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You're not going to talk about that your mom's an alcoholic. You're not going to talk about it. Your dad just went to jail yeah. or your dad beats your mom. You just keep everything in. You go with the story that your family tells you to present. Mm-hmm. Your school might know that you're in a shelter, but your, kid, your friends don't know. That's just... Uh, you just got to absorb it, I guess, and keep it within. So even like during that time, you know, like you're going the preteen times, right? And you're going to school, you're, 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 your family's living in a shelter. Like, how are the teachers interacting with you? You know what? I, I can't remember the elementary school that I went to for that year. Mm-hmm. But I do remember that I used to walk by this cemetery every morning and it was always foggy it was, it was like so weird mm-hmm. that'd be like one of the times as a kid like i was like i just need to walk by here as quick as i can sometimes i would sprint through yeah. and i'd make it to class and the teacher would ask me in the morning like hey are you okay but like i'm okay mm-hmm. the teachers were great i remember at one point i was very explosive as a child i would yeah. fight a lot and they would talk to me and try to find resolutions i guess when you're going through a transition like that mm-hmm. you have some rage and you let it out but as i got older i was i understood like I don't like to hit people. That's not who I am. Yeah. So the teachers were great. The, the Canadian school system is amazing. 
very honestly. You go to India, you got to pay for school. Mm-hmm. A lot of countries, you got to pay for school. It's about, as a parent, do you take advantage of what the curriculum offers you and do you educate your child further yeah. to guarantee your child's success or do you want to just fully rely on a stranger? Mm-hmm. So the school system's great. I think the, it's the onus on the parents to step up. Yeah. So what about in school? Like, were you good with the grades? Were you good at paying attention? You know, or, you know, as they now diagnose ADHD and stuff like that? I, I had ADHD in grade three when I went back to my, like, original neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I went to school. They put me on pills because that's what they used to do in the 90s. They would recommend pills to calm your child down. Okay. And I was on them for maybe like two, three weeks. My mom's like, we're not taking these anymore. Right. Because the school would recommend it, not even a doctor. So I was on them. They're like, uh, my mom's like, you're turning my kid into a zombie. Because mm-hmm. I would just come home and just sit there. You ever see somebody on those type of drugs as an adult, they're zoned out. Like sit there doing what? Like watching TV or just, I would just sit there? I would just be zoned out. Like you just literally come home. It's like someone that's on Adderall. Mm-hmm. If they check out for a few minutes, they just sit there like, and you're wondering what they're going through. Yeah. Right. So I was in that type of state from what my mother described. That's so we crazy. cut that off. Focused on sports as an elementary kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. 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 So this is all going on in, in the East End in Scarborough. Yeah. Right. So specifically what area for, cause like I know with, especially with our networks, areas matters or hoods matter. Like what hood was this? Or Kennedy area? 401 Glamorgan. Okay. Section six. Okay, yeah, I know yeah. the area. So what's going on outside, like, while, like, you're going through, like, what I would say, like, an immer- internal turmoil? To be honest, I think when you grow up in a neighborhood, and, and I've traveled a fair amount now. I've went to France. I've went to Vancouver. I lived in Vancouver. I've traveled to France a few times, Germany, mm-hmm. throughout Europe. There is a Scarborough, or not even a Scarborough, there is a Jane and Finch. There's a region park. There's a flemo in every area across the world. Facts. In London, England, same thing. They just talk with a different accent and they roll their blunts a different way. Yeah. But the, the mindset is the same. The same problems, the alcoholic parents or the drug abusing dad or whatever the case might be. The, the turmoil is the same. Yeah. We're all going through the same struggles. And when you're exposed to it so much, you just focus. It's just, oh. My eight, my friend that's in grade eight is part of a, a, a first degree murder investigation. Mm. It's almost like it just becomes normal in yeah. a sense. And you just breeze right by it. But someone who didn't grow up in that environment, they look at it like, oh, my God, look at that young man. He's only in grade eight and he has a murder charge. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, man, I went to school with this guy. You know what I mean, like the, the things you absorb coming from those type of neighborhoods is is. You should be commended to survive those neighborhoods mentally mm-hmm. and to come out of those circumstances and change your life. I tip my hat off to everybody that has moved out and become a productive member of society. Yeah. So, yeah, for real, for real. Because like, it can get, get kind of hard to stay, stay focused on being a good kid when so many bad things are going on around you, right? So with that being said, when did you jump off the porch and say, you know what? I'm just going to fucking join the madness. I don't think I never wanted to join the madness. Mm. So what I would do, I had my little group of friends 
And I would always be the little schemer on, okay, what are we going to do today to make a little bit of money yeah. so we could all eat, maybe go buy a pack of basketball cards, whatever it was. I was always thinking of a scheme. Three of us are going to go into a store. I'm going to buy something while you guys steal or whatever would rotate. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're, we're going to spend the whole day because it's Saturday or Sunday and we're going to return all the shopping carts. We can get all the quarters or the dollars, however yeah. it works. So I was always scheming. I never jumped into like anything serious, serious till I was about like 16, 17. I got mm-hmm. into, uh, got into the whole crime scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so like, you get in, what, when your first arrest? Right after I turned 18, Fuck. like six months after I turned 18, March. So five months, I just turned 18, caught an arrest charge. And I did all this other stuff mm. as a juvenile. And I was just like, oh, I'm running fraud. I'm doing this and this and that and no trouble. And then I turned 18 and I caught a charge because the friend that I was with didn't do his due diligence. And we ended up in a situation. Mm. And even before I get to that now, like you're growing up in, in Scarborough as a place that's a melting pot, right? Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're growing up as, as an Indian kid in Scarborough, whereas you, were you around a lot of other Indian kids or like what was your friend group mix? My friend groups was like 80% from the Caribbean black background, mm-hmm. a couple of West Indians in there and a couple of Sri Lankans. Yeah, yeah. My area, my neighborhood was divided on like uh, a predominantly black Caribbean side mm-hmm. and then one building dedicated to the Sri Lankans. And I lived yeah. in the building in the middle. Okay. So it's like, I would end up in conflict with both sides at times. Because mm. at those times, like being Indian or Sri Lankan or Tamil or a minority now in any neighborhood, it's cool. It's accepted. Yeah. But in a- the 90s, if you were Indian, Sri Lankan, Somalian, you're ending up in a lot of problems. That's, that's what I'm getting at. Because I know it wasn't just like, you know, just no, easy. No, 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 no. I, I, I got, I had my fair share of getting picked on and mm-hmm. fighting back all the time. You know, there's always a breaking point. And if one person picks on you, they're going to do it. And then you're going to snap and you're going to fight them back. Yeah. You know, so I had my fair share of fighting my bullies or using my tactician mind, I guess, even at a young age to be like, Mm. okay, this guy hates this guy and this guy hates me. So I'm going to make friends with this guy and this guy will beat him up. Something along those lines. So it was always like some sort of you're using your mind because you can't beat up everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even like with the racism that, like us as black people deal with, right? Um, I know we get our regular derogatory terms that we get thrown at us. What about you as an Indian man? You've probably heard your crazy share of like different derogatory terms. Can I be honest with you? It's the standard packy. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I've been called most in my life, I've been called the N-word more than anything else. Really? Really. Because I grew up with, with a bunch of mans on a block. Mm-hmm. I remember in like grade six, I had to fight another guy because he called me that word and I didn't know what it meant. Wow. We were so young and my friends were like, yo, you got to fight him. I was just like, okay, I'm going to fight him. But I didn't even know what what it really meant because I'd never been called that before. And but my friends at the time, I guess in in their households, like if anybody calls you the N word, it's a trigger word. It's a trigger word. So they were triggered by it. So I had to fight this other kid and I didn't even know. That's crazy. That is crazy. I remember that was at like the back of the back of the field by the soccer net or something, mm-hmm. something like that. So give me one of the like time that you can remember back then where you were like, you know what? 
I want to get the fuck out of this, this, this city. Or if you always just want, like, cause sometimes we notice, we don't notice that we're inside of like the fuck group. So we don't even care about getting the fuck out. But then sometimes we get that moment of clarity. where like, you know what? I don't know if I like what's going on around me. I would, I would like to be somewhere else. Where would that, what would that somewhere else maybe? As of right now for me? No, when you were young. When I was young? I think I just wanted a place where, and not to say that my mom wasn't safe or my sisters wasn't safe. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to move to a place where girls aren't getting pregnant at 13 because I'm thinking about my sister. Yeah. You don't got to worry about getting robbed or get caught up in a robbery investigation or a murder because like there was a lot of that going on in my neighborhood. The first TTC transit officer ever killed in the city of Toronto was done by somebody in my neighborhood. Wow. You know, and then his best friend murdered two sisters. Mm -hmm. So like there was a lot of like wild things happening that I just didn't even pay attention to. But I grew up with these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I just wanted to move to a place where it was safe. Not to say that my sister and them couldn't walk outside. Mm -hmm. Our neighborhood. I don't think any neighborhood like that is that crazy in any in, in any of these cities. Yeah, yeah. Right. Regardless of whatever we might say, yo, it's a gangster neighborhood or this or that. Our families are safe, but I just didn't want them to grow up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anywhere out of a disenfranchised neighborhood where they're safe, you know, like a good place to raise kids. And there's other parts of Scarborough that are amazing. Yeah. Right. You go to Port Union. It's a totally different world. Yeah. So even like you said, you started working at age 12, right? And you started yeah. living on your own by 16. So I worked at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So there was a grocery store, Metro. So I worked at Metro, lied on my job application, needed to make some money. They didn't want to rely on my parents. They found out my age. They fired me, got another job. When I got that job, at the same time, I started my life of crime at the same time. Mm. So how do I put this? My mother was not too fond of something that she found. And she's like, hey, you got to go. You. So... I made a decision that I didn't even, sorry, I didn't even make a decision. I just knew that I had to leave. A decision was made for you. Bro. Yes, a decision was made. Because you know, you, uh, as a parent, you have to think about your siblings. Mm-hmm. And children will always follow what the older one does. Mm-hmm. So I went, I moved out with the mandem, and life was very different. That Christmas, that New Year's, life was very different. So you moved out with the mandem, and what, you guys got a spot and shit? They had a spot already. Because these guys were already like five years older than me. I didn't move out with guys my age. Okay. So I had two sets of friends, my peers, and then guys that I went to work with. Mm. So the guys that I went to work with, they were already living on their own. I remember three of us living in a room, sleeping on the floor. It was, it wasn't the the nicest conditions, but it makes me appreciate where I live now. That's for sure. Yeah. So. When you started like living on your own and stuff now, right? I'm sure like life starts moving way faster. Okay. Give me some of the things that you, you that you had to do to make ends meet around those times. Without getting like anything, you know, past the stat or like you know what I'm saying? Well, that was probably one of the first times I started trafficking weed in mm-hmm. high school, because that's the thing that was going back then. Um I wasn't really a fan of it. The the ROI wasn't there. Right. Our return on investment. And 
Then we did the car thing because everybody's like, oh, you can get money for cars. So I was like, all right, cool. I got my friends together. I was like, yo, we're going to go get cars. And then we got a bunch of cars and we went to the one guy that almost instigated or told us he can get us money for it. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, yo, next week, yo, the man's not here. And all of a sudden we just committed carjacking for wow. absolutely no reason. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Made no money. And just, we drove these nice cars mm. and made zero money from it and could have went to jail for a long time because carjacking is, is, is a pretty, pretty serious offense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the stuff you see on the news right now, we were doing when I was a kid mm-hmm. and it's been happening in the city. I just think it's more aggressive right now. Yeah. So before the incarceration that made that prompted the move to Vancouver and stuff like that, were there any others before that? That when yeah, you were yeah, like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to be gone for a minute. Not like a, a week or a weekend thing. You're like, oh, fuck. So up until my... Yo, I have like 25 convictions, right? What? Yeah. So I'll explain. My co-accused went to high school with me. Me and him were best friends. So I have 13, 14 breach of uh, recognizance or something. Yeah, yeah. So out of those 25 charges, only 11 of them are serious. Not to say that breaching your or violating your terms isn't serious. But the other charges, they, they, they labeled me a career criminal from like the age of 18 to like 25, 26. I was just going in and out. Yeah, you just and kept on I, catching charges. I kept on catching charges, but there was one point I got into a high-speed chase. And when I came out that time, I was like, I can't do this shit no more. Right, right. So I came up with a game plan and I just stuck to it. Can we stop for a second? Yeah. Because I've interviewed people who've been in high-speed chases before. I've interviewed them before the high-speed chase and never got a chance to speak to them any time after. Yeah. You just said you were in a high-speed chase. If you don't mind, what's going through one's mind when you're turning corners, whipping the whip around, and the boy them behind you, a.k.a. the cops? So... I'd already made up my mind that I was going to take off on the cops. Mm. The moment I seen him walking back to my car, my car was always on. I just put it in neutral. Right. Right. So they couldn't see the brake lights or whatever it was. And then I kind of seen him give the signal, like pull this guy out of the car. I'd already locked my car door. Boom. I cut. (laughs) I made the left onto golf club. I didn't even make it that far. Mm. It was a little rainy outside, sleek. And then I went to make a hard right turn on Vermorton. I turned that Pontiac like it was a Mercedes. And to be very honest with you, there's like two light poles. My car slid through the light poles mm-hmm. and hit a tree in front of a house. Oh. And nobody was hurt. I walked away without a scratch. Mm-hmm. The thing that I remember before I actually crashed, it wasn't even the cops or nothing. It's like, fuck, I'm about to crash. So I took my seatbelt off Uh, because I must have heard somewhere on TV or the radio in a car crash, the seatbelt jams. Wow. So I had already made up my mind that I'm going to crash and I'm going to run. So I took the seatbelt off, but it got caught here. I didn't even solve this to like maybe a year or two ago (laughs) that the seatbelt got caught here Uh, because I took it off and I put my hands back. That's why I didn't get launched because my head hit the windshield. I went back, like I had long hair to hair. Yeah. So my hair was in the windshield because when I got out 
from for bail, I went and looked at the seat, like the car. Mm. So the airbag hit my chest, and I guess I hit the the windshield. That's survived, crazy. got a concussion, ran across the street. Uh, you were still able to run. Hundred percent. I was disoriented though. So I seen the cops fly by straight because they weren't thinking I'm turning right. So the cops drove by this car car accident, mm-hmm. went all the way to like Ellesmere, wherever they went. Yeah. I got out. Uh, man, this is crazy, actually. So I got out. I had two phones that looked the same. And while while this is happening, what's going on? Like, is your body hot? Are you fucking? Are your is your heartbeat running crazy? Like, I couldn't even. Uh, I wouldn't even be able to tell you. I would just imagine that I was thinking about running across the street into the water ravine in case they got dogs. Mm. Because I knew that if I went through the water, the dog can't track me. Or that's what I assumed right. from movies, you know. And then I just ran to, I called my girl. I was like, my ex-girl. I was like, yo, come get me. This and that. Went to her house. They cut my hair off. They shaved my face. But. Whoa, you got away? No, 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 bro. They created like uh, a huge box between Ellesmere and Lawrence. A perimeter. They created a perimeter. Any car that's going in and out, blah, blah, blah. And she had been stopped with me in a road stop or whatever. Mm. They took her information. They just showed up there like two hours later, surrounded the house. And that's all she wrote. Wow. So another crime. What a stupid incident. Something I could have just took the, the breaching of bail. 30 days. Took into a high speed chase. Lost my license. Almost died. Mm-hmm. Endangered other people. Endangered other people. And I had like the thing when I look at it. I survived that in order to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Right. Like think before you act. You know what I mean? Like. Going to jail for a few months versus a few years is totally different. Like yeah. five minutes can change the next 20 minutes of your life. And people don't think about that. Mm. Right? Imagine I killed somebody. Boom. That's eight years out the window. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Or you will, yeah, they'll give you a manslaughter, probably maybe 15 years. However that you want to break it. Yeah. 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 Nah, man, that's crazy. And that's prior to the one where you're like, okay, now I got to go do 10 times. So that happened back in 04, this car chase. So mm-hmm. I went to trial for it in like September, early September. And my friend at that time, my best friend, he moved in with me. And I was just like, yo, my birthday's coming up. I'm going to make the next amount of money. Mm-hmm. Save it for a lawyer. The next money, I'm buying product. And that's it. You yeah. Nobody's seeing me. No clubs, no nothing. If it ain't for money, your boy is not coming out. Right. So I just adopted that mindset and saved up. Did pretty well for myself. It's a cash business. Mm-hmm. If, you, if I made $1,000, I'm only spending 12 bucks on getting an extra large sub. I'm going to eat half, give half to my driver because I had no license. Mm-hmm. And I'm buying a drink, going home to sleep. So I didn't care how much I made. I knew how much I was saving. People look at it nowadays, which is like, I think it's so asinine. And it doesn't matter which line of work you're in. You could be in, in the street game or in the corporate game. If you're getting paid 5000 and out of that 5000 3000 is your is your profit, mm-hmm. you can't go and spend $2,000. You can't spend $1,000 yeah. or $500. Because what if next month you only make $4,000, right? Yeah. So me, I, I've always been a, a miser. 
right? There's a time to save and then there's a time to spend. Mm-hmm. So me, I always looked at it like I'm for the next year, I am grinding it out. Yeah. So I grinded it out. I elevated my game, started picking up uh, higher volumes of product, grew my, grew my network, grew my business. Mm-hmm. And then I had a nice, like, I think three, four year run where I didn't get arrested. And then when they didn't get arrested, when they came and finally caught up with me, because you got to ask yourself, have you ever seen an old drug dealer? You ever seen an old escort, an old stripper? Why do you see them? Because they were not successful. Yeah, like they're still doing it. Well, you can't be 35, 40, unless you're like up there in the game. Yeah. But if you're like a 35, 40 year old escort or a stripper, you've done some things wrong. Yeah. If you're like a 40 year old drug dealer and you're bringing in the product, I tip my hats off to you. I'm not mm-hmm. encouraging it. Or you're doing something different. But if you're 40 years old and you're still trafficking ounces, quit your job, take care of your kids, do something different. Yeah. Very honestly. Yeah. yeah so yeah. when they did come for me, man, and they, they caught me with a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. End of the day, I had a 222 tips violation, uh, information. I had a video statement against me. I had co-accused. So it was a shit show. So what, were you raided and stuff? Yeah, I was simultaneously raided at three places. Whoa, shit. So they came to get me first so I don't call or receive a call to protect myself. Okay. And then they raided the, the other spot and the other spot. And then they caught a bunch of men's in one spot. Mm-hmm. It was so funny. I owned that spot for almost a year. Not owned it, but we rented it. I went on the balcony once. And during that time that they were investigating me, they caught me on the, on the balcony. Wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, it's fucking crazy that people actually want to live like that. Go to school. Just because you did a 10 year bid doesn't make you like gangster or a badman. No, you wasted 10 years. Mm -hmm. You could have worked for four or went to school for four years. And within six years, you could have paid off your student loan, got a job, make it 80K to 100K, depending on your background. Yeah. Straight Spend up. time with your family. Straight up. There is absolutely zero in the drug game, in the escorting game, in the stripper game. Nothing. Yeah. I don't care what you have now. <coughs> the chances of you having it tomorrow are slim. Yeah. And plus, a lot of times, the money that you've been saving... Um, all that time, you know, you explained that you were, you're, you're a miser. Yeah. However, I'm sure a lot of that money had to go back towards lawyer fees. Some of it. I, was, I, I did really well for myself, mm-hmm. right? Some of it did go to uh, my lawyer, rest in peace. Edward Sapiano, for people that do know him. Okay. Phenomenal man. He single-handedly changed my perspective on how I viewed myself. Mm-hmm. Because when I caught my charge... I also went and bought a book for law and I started looking up other cases and trying to figure out how I could get, the, get out of this situation. Right. Right. You snitch, eventually that paperwork is going to catch up to you. Yeah. Right. And one thing I did learn, regardless of what you do or don't do, people always think you snitch. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually the weirdest thing. There's always some hater out there. Yo, you did this. Like, no, man, I just got money, bro. I'm just yeah. smart. There was a loophole in the case. So he actually told me that I should pursue law because of the way that I carry myself. Mm-hmm. Because 
I'm very calm in my delivery. I think before I react. And he was pushing me to go to law. I was just like, I can't do eight years. I would just be finishing my law degree almost, right? right. But I'd be better for it. But I'd also be <laughs> well into my 30s. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. So I just pursued business. The stuff you learn in the streets is stuff that you can utilize in any corporate environment. You just got to change the verbiage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can't be saying, yo, fam, this and that. You can make a lot of money in a corporate environment. If you're good at sales and networking with people and you're not bullying and beating up your clientele base, you can make a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money in sales. Sales is king. So while you were gone, were you like starting to crunch books and stuff like that? Not when I was doing my six months. Not in the APR. I didn't mm. care. I was just running laps, trying to lose weight. Yeah. But when I went back in, I started uh, crushing the psych books. The psychology books. Yeah. I know that I'm going to have a family one day. How do I help with the impact? How do I put this? I don't consider myself a gangster, but when you live a, a dark lifestyle, it affects your siblings. Mm. It affects your mom or your dad or whatever. The people that you're closest to. Yeah. If they love you, they're doing that five years with you. Yeah. That 10 years with you. You know? Like even now when I think about it, that day that I got sentenced on May 10th, the thing that I remember most vividly is when they asked for a DNA sample, my lawyer declined, but I looked at my sister and she's just breaking down. Mm. And it's no different. Like, and when I think about that, instantly I think about, I think um, from the Galloway boys, CD or PD's mom was rolling around on the floor when she, when she heard that news. Yeah. Yo, like that gives me goosebumps to think about the mental anguish that we put our families through. Yeah. You know, like the clips have a, a, a verse. They go shuttles to all the moms that are crying at the sentencing. Dads ain't crying because they're not there. Yeah. Because I, I wholeheartedly believe if you have a positive real mo- male role model in your life, you will typically not end up in those type of situations. Mm. So it's always the moms that cry. It's the sisters that cry. So you're not just, you're not a bad man by yourself. You're, you're, you're just destroying your house. Yeah. For what? To go flex on the gram with your shitty 10 carat chain? To blow it in a, in a club? Come on. Bro, I never even bought a bottle in a club till I turned 25. I owned a property, a business, and a foreign car. Mm. And this generation right now, they got a used Honda Civic, living in the metros, and they're blowing all their money at the club. For what? Nobody cares except you. Yeah. And most likely, just like a lot of people that are under the age of 30, they're insecure men mm-hmm. or women. So they feel that by, by showing that they're rich, I got two Rolexes. For what? Why do you have two Rolexes and no property? Yeah. Yeah. So what made you realize that you, because I don't think it was something that happened from when you were in jail. I feel like you started having these realizations prior to your, getting that incarceration time. So, like I said, I started a business, right? Mm. And then when you start a business, I started reading business books. And when you start a business, you have to have an exit plan. Yeah. So as, as a drug dealer, my exit plan is like, you know what? I'm going to sell drugs for the next 12 years. Mm-hmm. At 35, I'm going to cash out. I'll have a million dollars because I was making 100K a year that time, cash. And I'm going to cash out when I'm 35. So that'll give me 1.2 million 
on top of whatever assets and stuff that I accumulate. Right. That did not happen. <laughs> I wish it did. But I always knew that there's a way to get out of this. Mm-hmm. Most people start selling drugs and have zero idea what they're doing. Nobody cares that you bought Dior. Except you. Yeah. You want to attract a baddie because of the way you're dressed? And then you get her pregnant. And now she's on the gram twerking in front of somebody else and you're losing your shit. Yeah, because you can't even afford the clothes no more. It's not even that, bro. You don't want a baddie. You want a woman. Yeah. You want a woman that's going to support you. Don't, if you're from the block and you're selling drugs, don't go for a girl that's also from the block. Find someone that's the polar opposite. So she brings something to the table. Go for someone that has, I, I, I always dated somebody that had a degree. Uh, I've dated a doctor, a dentist, um, master social media marketer for like a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. I always dated the polar opposite. Yeah. Why? Because I don't want to deal with certain problems because you always got to think of a household. Mm-hmm. Even the way that I selected the woman that I'm with now, family values, did a master's in fashion. Mm-hmm. Amazing woman. She can educate the kids and give the kids everything that I wasn't exposed to. Mm. So if you're from the hood or from a disenfranchised neighborhood, single parent household, and you meet a female that's also from a single parent household, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. Because now both of you don't know how to act in a relationship. Neither of you know how to raise a child. Just because you have a kid, just because you're a father doesn't mean you're a dad. Mm. Those are two separate things. I know a lot of fathers, but I knew very few dads. Yeah. I want to be a dad. A lot of fathers? Oh, I got a kid. When do you check them? I don't know. Yeah. You go to the club more than you see your kid. You're a father, my friend. Or you don't even know they have a kid. You're like, oh shit, fam, you have a kid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fam, I got three of them. Yo! With different baby moms. Yeah. I went to go get a haircut today. And you hang with the guy every day. <laughs> like, I, I, I literally said, so my best friend that moved in with me at that time, mm-hmm. And I was just looking at it like how life has changed in almost 20 years. And like, I still love him like a brother, but he's a waste man. Mm. Like, I would best describe him as Fredo from The Godfather for whoever's ever watched that movie. Yeah. You know, somebody that always wanted to make it, but didn't want to put in the work. Mm. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, that's some serious shit, bro. So... You make, you make it home now and yeah. you decide to go all the way to the fucking West Coast. Yeah. What, what prompted that move in the first place for a Scarborough man? Well, oh man. So prior to going in, I had met a female who was here for learning how to become a dentist. Mm-hmm. She moved back to Vancouver. I was like, okay, let me. So me and her kept in touch, built a relationship. We already had one. Once I went away, obviously you're on the phone, this and the third. She started to come to see me, went through the whole progression. I was like, yo, I want to move to Vancouver because I want to break my criminal cycle. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, when you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you know the man in the mirror. You know if you want to be a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah. Right? And I didn't want to be a quote-unquote bad guy. I didn't want to revert back to that lifestyle. Because when you come out, especially if you were a drug dealer, everybody comes out, yo, you got the plug. Yes, I got the plug, but it's not plugged in. Mm. I let that plug be the plug. Yeah. And don't get it misconstrued. There has been times 
that I've been extremely tempted. There's been a time like four or five years ago, I, I, I quit my corporate job. And for those who think that corporate jobs don't pay, check yourself. Mm. I made $140,000, paid a lot of it to tax after in sales because I'm a good communicator. $100,000 after taxes, way more than 80% of you drug dealers out there, 80% of you strippers, any of you guys. And I saved most of it. So don't knock a corporate job or a working man ever in your life. Facts. Just because your man won't shoot somebody and he'll go and cash a check doesn't make him a punk. Yeah. It actually makes him a real man. He's the real he is, baller. He is the real baller. He's winning in life. He is winning in life. He goes home. He hugs his wife, kisses his kids. He's not worrying about the door being broken off. And for the next eight years, they got to visit their dad. Yeah. That, that's that. How do I put this, man? I got love for mans that come from blocks, but you have to realize that we're smarter than that. Don't let the music about trapping and drug dealing and pimping and escorting be the end all be all of who we are. You have to understand this is systematic oppression that happens through our music. And don't say that, oh, you're Indian and you listen to Indian music. I actually just started listening to Punjabi music because of Sidhu. Mm. Our music is designed to, in the 90s, sell drugs, kill each other. Then we migrated into 2010 when I came back out and it's like, oh, so now we're selling drugs, killing each other, pimping our women, and now we're going to start doing drugs. Doing the drugs. (laughs) What? That makes absolutely zero sense. I have, in the last like eight years, the pendulum has just shifted. The, The blacks, the Indians, the Caribbeans were not doing cocaine. Now they are. And it's very, very odd for me to see that. Mm. But it's this new generation. You talk to a Sri Lankan guy from the 90s, they would have kicked the other Sri Lankan guy's ass for doing that. Yeah. You think that you're going to be a Jamaican and you're going to walk into a room with other Jamaicans and just pull out the Coke in the 90s? Never. Now, people don't even care. And don't get it twisted. Do I personally care? No. Live your life. Do what makes you feel comfortable. But I don't recommend doing hard drugs because it doesn't end well. Yeah. No, that's real talk, fam. And, and jewels that the audience needs to hear at the same time. Listen, if the audience is looking at me to come in here and yell at the camera or talk about how I'm the biggest bodman and I made all this money, this is not the interview for you. Yeah. But you want to be winning at life? This is definitely the interview for you. Because that shit that, oh, I got a record or I came from the block or I got no dad. That's a fucking excuse, bro. Mm. That is an excuse of someone who has a loser mindset. You going back to prison in your 30s for 10 years and you're coming home when you're 40, that's a loser move. Yeah. In that 10 years, you could have just went to school and not instantly had the big car and worked towards it. That means you're a winner. You know, it's all about the mindset we choose to adopt. You know, don't get it twisted. I still listen to gangster music. Yeah. But I know that when I listen to it, and I listen to it only in the gym, because music is so powerful, I wholeheartedly believe it can control your thoughts, your mood, and your mindset. Sure. I listen to some old school 50. Your boy wants to get out there and move a pack. Not to say that I'm going to do it. But now everybody's listening to drill music, and they're just running drills. Yeah. Why? 
out of the 40 homicides that we're going to have in the city, and I'm just giving a generic number, how many of these homicides were actually done for monetary gain? And monetary gains means money. Did he rob you? Does he owe you money? Most likely not. You just shot him because he said something stupid on Instagram. Yeah. Or you bumped him into, in, in a club. So where is the value in that as a man? Like, I just want to challenge the audience. Where do you see value in yourself that you're going to shoot somebody over some words? If you shot him over money, I might not be mad at you. But you shot him over nothing. Now your mom's struggling. Your family's struggling. If you got a kid, you just expose your entire life to bullshit for no money. But you're a baller and you want to win. Now you got to go sit in a jail cell with a bunch of dudes, man. Shit. Oh, and like, yo, to see the amount of life that we've lost in the city of Toronto and the talent that we've lost over no money is stupid. Yeah. If these guys owed each other, yo, that guy robbed me for a brick and he went and he blew his brains out on Queen Street. Cool, I get it. Maybe it's not right, but at least there was a reason. There's a reason for it. And, and And I'm not promoting violence whatsoever. But I'm just saying, if there's a reason, but the man can't just go on Instagram, yo, that guy's soft. He's a bum. Well, most, most, most people that are on Instagram flexing are bums. Yeah, people only show you the highlight real fan. So even with you, when you came back and you started getting into, like I see here um, from like some of the information I have, right? That you opened up a, a private career college. So you and your mom do So my mom, so how do I put this? My mom's a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. She's always believed in taking care of the community. Me and her were actually just talking about this in the kitchen like a couple of days ago. Yeah. Because uh, I think on August 16th was my 10 years of coming out of the pen. No more charges. No trouble with the law and step getting pulled over for like missing a stop sign or whatever the case might be. But no new charges. Mm -hmm. To me, that's a big deal. To be 10 years clean of criminal activity, that's a milestone for me. No, definitely. I talk to my mom about that and I go, in the meantime, I go, mom, look at all the women that you've helped. So my mom went from being a battered woman back in the 90s. And then she ended up working for the South Asian Women Community Center or something like that at Markham and Ellesmere. Okay. So other women that were in abusive situations our new immigrant, she was helping them for the last 20 years. Wow. So then she finally conjured up this plan. She's like, yo, let's open a school. It's bonded with the government and let's educate people, right? So she's like, yo, let's do the, the media. Let's do the beauty industry. So we did, we focused on the beauty industry because it's recession proof. Mm-hmm. So then I was just like, hey mom, we should add a barbering course. Let's add a business course. Let's add these courses. Majority of our courses that you can use is during it's their recession proof businesses, right? And everybody uses this cop out that, yo, I got a record and I can't do nothing. No, come to us. We'll take care of you. Taha College has a solution for your problem. Mm. Say it again. What's the name? Taha College. T-A-H-A College. We're located in Scarborough. We do government funding. We'll help you get funding so we can take care of your kids at the babysitter, mm-hmm. your travel costs. Come get educated and take care of yourself. Men's have to stop using this excuse 
Like, yo, I can't do it. I got a record, dog. That's yeah. dumb. That's just it's garbage. I don't buy it. Because I didn't do it. I know so many other people. There is mans that are there right now. You know what? How do I, how do I put this? They're not mans no more. They're just men. Yeah. There's men there that have done their thing and they're bettering their lives. They're taking care of their families, opening a legitimate business and going home to their family every night. Dope. Right? Dope. Dope. And before we even get to where we are here, right? You also had something called the Healthy Hearts um, Community Nutrition Club. So Healthy Hearts Breakfast Club is a idea that spawned out of uh, Clubhouse. Okay. Because so this is, this is post-Clubhouse? This is post-Clubhouse. Okay. So it spawned in the old location. Okay. So I think it was just during COVID. I think uh, I know exactly what it was. So French 3M, he does Salute. something that's actually great. He gives back to the community every year on his birthday. Mm. So I know people within his inner circle. I was just like, yo, we want to donate uh, 600 meals. Right. So we helped donate 600 meals for the cause. And he also did it this year. I think they uh, took care of the kids in Regent Park during Ramadan. Mm -hmm. So we were a part of that. Nice. So Healthy Hearts spawned out of there. Now, has it been the most active as of late? No, because there's been so much other life going on. But that is definitely not an endeavor that we're looking to uh, pass up or forget about. Because right. kids do need a healthy solution for nutrition on their way to school every morning. Yeah, yeah. And then, I guess because I put the, the order a little bit out of the, or out of the chronological order. We're here in Clubhouse. Yes. But this is like the second generation of what you originally had as a fitness center. Yeah. And this is more than just a fitness center. So this is what we call a power center. Okay. Talk to me about in that. In the power center, we got fitness over here. We got a nutrition bar in the middle. And then we got a cafe area on the right. And... With the virtue of the space that we have and where we're located, we're able to turn this into an event spot, mm. an album release party, an intimate birthday party, a corporate event. We just hosted a, a predominant Canadian brand just two days ago Okay, for a corporate party, right? Nice. So we're no longer limited to just fitness. We've actually utilized our skill set, our talents, and our geographical location to the maximum capabilities. With, um, with the clubhouse, right? Give me some of the, um, the obstacle that dealing with the clubhouse as far as opening it during the pandemic. So opening clubhouse. So we were going to shut down our own location, pack up the bags and go. Mm -hmm. And we as a team were just like, we can't just pack it and we can't let the pandemic get the best of us. So we started looking around within the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we went to go look at the second floor. And with my curious mind, I was like, let me see what's upstairs. I walked upstairs and I was just like, yo, this is sick. And, the, and it, what an amazing spot. It didn't look like this. We blew out all the walls. Right. And uh, John that was in here, he was here for 27 years. And for the Canadians that have been here long enough, you'll remember there was a commercial called Body Break. So Body Break was filmed out of this location. That's crazy. And then we moved in. Body Break? So the difficulties that we had, we had to figure out how we were going to navigate and pay rent during lockdown. Mm. So at the end of the day, by any means necessary, as long as it's legal, 
We accomplished our goal every month, utilizing our network of family, friends, and the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we had to do during the pandemic, can I say we're in the pandemic still? Yeah, yeah, I think we are still. It's safe to say. I don't think we're fully out, but I believe a lot of businesses had a lot of competition this summer. Mm. Everybody wanted to be outdoors. So if you had any indoor type of business outside of clubbing, everybody was at a festival. Everybody was at a beach. It's like, you go camping? Yeah, I just started this year. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, so there was a lot of competition. So we went through those hurdles. Yeah. But we achieved and learned a lot. Mm. Now, in terms of like challenges during COVID, I think the biggest challenge would be to be staying optimistic. Mm. Because there's times where you run into difficulty of supplies or you run into a difficulty of this or we have people that run an event and it might not be as successful because they also didn't think about the competition of what's happening. Yeah. Right. I think the fall for events is going to be amazing. We're already in the, in Q4, we're already booked up 40% of Q4 nice. for events. Right. We got corporate events. We got Halloween. We got late birthdays. People can't be outside anymore. Now the pendulum is going to shift back in our indoor, indoor favors. Yeah. 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 And, and with everything that you've gone through over the years, right? Yeah. Um, with the incarceration, growing up in the hood, traveling, starting businesses. What's one thing, and this is a question I feel like I've been asking as a referring question. What's one thing that you wish you knew then that you know now? Buy, buy Bitcoin like 10 years ago. <laughs> um, they had Bitcoin 10 years ago? Yeah, it came out, uh, I think 2008, they had the white paper. And then I think 2009, 2010, it was actually launched at like near pennies. Okay. And now it's become one of the world's largest, fastest growing assets in the last 13 years, yeah, which yeah. is actually amazing. Yeah. But if there is something that I wish I could tell myself 10, 15, 20 years ago, mm. I would go back and tell myself that don't do this. Don't carry a, a firearm. Don't sell drugs. Go to school. Yeah. If you don't want to go to school, go to work. You'll still be not as traumatized from the shit you see in the street. And I don't care how gangster you are. You see your friend lose your life. You're over there crying, bro. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you say. Oh, yo, I don't cry. Nah, man. You just lost your best friend that you grew up with and his blame and he got murdered. You're crying. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Your sister is traumatized because you went to prison for 10 years. She has no dad. No father figure, and she lost her brother. Now she has no male role models. You know who's going to be her role model? Quite possibly a pimp. Another guy that came from a, a shitty household, single parent household. Now he's going to be with your sister, cheat on her, might even beat her. Mm. So it's not worth it. Take the slow route. Don't get rich today, get wealthy tomorrow. Game. Holy. The man dropped the jewel. Yo, listen. I, 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 okay, we'll end the, the history part there. But I still want to keep you for a quick couple of things, okay? Because now that we've gotten to know you, um, Mr. 366, we'll just go with that. Okay. Okay, we ain't going to go into governance and all that anymore. Okay. Okay? 
I and you know, we got to get the history and get to get into the mind of, of an entrepreneur out here, right? And somebody who really is, you know, entrenched in Toronto and knows what's going on in the city as well. You're really passionate about the hip hop scene, right? A couple of things I want to bring up as far as news stories and get your opinion. The sword fight in Brampton. Did you see this? I seen it online. There's a couple of things I want to tie in and you can let me know if you don't want to talk about it or not, because I was, I posted a YouTube video about two podcasters who got accosted or got assaulted mm -hmm. basically. Right. And this is also in Brampton. Yeah. What is going on? bro? Okay. For somebody who from the South Asian community as well, you know what I'm saying? What do you think is going on? So how do I put this? First of all, the podcasters, mm -hmm. they got beat up because they stated an opinion and the majority of the, of the audience didn't agree with it. Interesting. There was a woman in India. There's a huge movement online, the core movement. And the disappointing thing is the same people who reposted Sidhu and every single post that he has haven't reposted about this woman who took her own life because her husband was beating her ass. Wow. Shame on every single one of you. Because this woman might not get enough reposts or likes the way Sidhu does, but it's your obligation to take care of a woman that got, she took her own life. She was getting beat up for years. She put a hidden camera and recorded herself getting beat up. Mm -hmm. She had the evidence. Indian police don't care. She took her life. And that's where this movement spawned from. And then these guys are like, oh, don't try to bring Canadian or North American laws into India. Right. Okay, I understand that. But you should still stand up for this woman who no longer has a voice. Right. So do I condone violence? No. Do I think what happened to those guys was fair or justified? No. Because they are out there using their platform to state their opinion. Mm. When you're using your platform to state your opinion, that's your platform. You don't have to listen. But what you can do as a human being, instead of beating some guy up, is have a conversation or also start your own platform and have a conversation and share your opinion. So shame on everybody who does not support this woman that took her own life in such a turbulent situation. So just to get a little bit more clarity on this, you're saying that the podcasters were bringing attention to this or not bringing attention? They to were it? going. How do I put this? Like they were speaking out against that? They were just like, because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Punjabis around the world mm -hmm. and a lot of Indians. So what they did was they band together and started this movement to try to bring this guy to justice for beating up his wife. Because the cops haven't intervened. They, haven't, they don't care. Right. Right. It's not like in Canada. If they would have caught a video of a guy beating up his wife, dead or not, they would go and charge him. Yeah. They're not doing that. Right. So they want this man charged for essentially... For something, for beating up this woman. Mm -hmm. But they're not doing it. So these guys said, hey, this isn't Canada. This isn't America. This isn't England. Don't try to take our laws and enforce them on another police jurisdiction. Something along those lines. Right. The podcasters are saying. Yeah. Okay. And then this whole sword fight. Listen. Each and every one of you, and I'm talking about immigrant students that are Indian or African or from anywhere in the world. And you have enough money to come here to be a student and then you want to live the thug life, you're a jackass. Outright. 
Okay, so can we stop there for a quick second? Yeah. And we'll use this as like the last thing to uh, where we end off our conversation. Yeah. Right? Because we spoke, of, you mentioned to do uh, Musiwala, right? And what you just mentioned there with exchange students who get into the gangster stuff, right? I was doing my research when I was doing the documentary and I seen that that was a common thing. That there's a lot of exchange students that come down to Canada, whether it's over there in BC or over here and then places to, like Brampton and other places over here. And they end up becoming gangsters. Why is that, bro? So they think that, okay, I'm going to, and, and most of these kids are very smart. I would imagine so. India is highly competitive when it comes to academics. You're not just going to be a half-witted kid or a broke kid that comes out here for education, number one. So they want to leave Canada, uh, they want to leave India to come to a better situation in Canada. And then instead of going to school, they want to get rich now mm. instead of getting rich later. And they want to sell drugs. They want to rob people, whatever it is that they're doing illegally. Let me explain something to you. You can't go to school to become a gangster and you can't start when you're in your 20s. It's too late. It's either you're brought up with it and you're surrounded about it so you're aware of what's going on so you don't get your brains blown out or end up doing 10 years in jail. You guys are not gangsters. Just because you come to Canada and start selling drugs and robbing people or whatever it is that you choose to do, you're not a gangster. Like, come on, man. Being a gangster is not cool. There is not a single person that is locked up or who that has been locked up will say that gang, being a gangster is cool. Every single one of those guys that are locked up doing 10, 20, 30, 40 life sentences right now, they will tell you, oh my God, you're an immigrant and you came to Canada for education and you wanted to be a gangster. They'll look at you and think you're a loser. Yeah. I think you're a loser. Outright. And I don't even like to use that word against people. Why be a gangster? Go become, go do your engineering. Sidhu Musiala, this like gangster idol that the Indian community has built up is not gangster whatsoever. He was almost coached into becoming who he became for the rest of the world. He was an engineering student that wrote raps about struggling in a household and being like a farmer and stuff like that. And like being suppressed as a Punjabi in India. When he met Big Bird and Sonny Malton, they altered Sidhu Musiala's DNA. They, they gave him that gangster persona. Mm. They used those heavy dipset beats and that verbiage and they gave him that raw essence of hip hop. That's the only reason I listen to Sidhu. He's not a gangster. I seen a picture today where he has a big AK like this. Mm. You're not a gangster, my friend. You are not gangsters. You are immigrant kids or students that have come to a country for education. Pursue that. You know when you're going to regret it? When you're doing 10 years. Longer. Yo, man. Sorry, man. Like, I, I don't mean to come at people like that, but the people that think it's cool to be a gangster, you're a moron. No, fam. I, I, I appreciate you you know, giving these words to the audience and these messages because sometimes they need to hear it and, you know, they don't always need to hear it in a coddled way, right? Sometimes we got to, we got to deliver the message a little bit uh, 
harsher so that they can hear it. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate you even having this conversation with me. We got to learn a lot about you. At the same time, we got a lot of jewels out of this. And I hope that people are able to take this conversation and, and, and learn from it. You know what I'm saying? Learn some of the things not to do when it comes to pitfalls and, you know, um, under come up in their, in their life. You know what I'm saying? Learn from the mistakes of others, like they say. Give us your social medias. Let us know where people could find you, if that's a thing. Uh, Mr. Underscore Underscore 366. Actually, it is a thing because Clubhouse is a thing. So Clubhouse people, is a thing. You, people need to find But you. if you want to get at me direct, just call me. 647-323-0366. Call me about business inquiries. You want to get an education? You want some help to get out of the streets and not live that lifestyle and want a solution? I got it for you. If you're an aspiring artist and you're not doing an album release party or you're not releasing your single at a club because it's too dangerous for you, contact us. Come to our private space. We're not going to advertise your event, but actually do a rollout for your album. I actually think it's so disappointing that Toronto artists do not value doing an album release party or a listening party. You have to do these things. And you want to do them in a safe environment? Do that with us. Yeah. Find them at Clubhouse, yo. Find, find us at Clubhouse. Yeah, man. Yo, Mr. 366 in the building. Thank you for the conversation once again. Thank you. Make sure to hit that subscribe, hit that like, hit the share. And yeah, big shout to our sponsors once again, Astro Pink. Where's my bag? Where's my bag? Where's my bag? Where's my bag? Bam. Astro Pink. I got some exotics right here. I'm about to smoke right now. You know, Astro underscore Pink on Instagram and my AstroPink.com. All right, it's your boy Friday Ricky Dread. I am off of this. We love hip hop.